0: Welcome to Pudo Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Metro editor Greg Jefferson. And we're really pleased today to have a special guest, um, District 2 Councilman uh, Jalen McKee-Rodriguez. He he was a guest on our podcast, I think, early 2021 when when you were a candidate for city council. But this is the first time we've done it in person in our new Prince Glam Slam uh, studio. <laughs>
1: I'm dressed for the <laughs> occasion. So uh, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank we you really for chill. having me.
0: Um, I guess the, the biggest uh, recent uh, City Hall news is last week, the City Council passed a $3.4 billion budget, which you voted for, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think the most contentious item was the issue of what to do with the CPS um, Energy re- uh, surplus. This, uh, the, because of the brutal summer that we had, uh, CPS Energy had a $75 million surplus. And what was proposed uh, from the city was, um, it was initially fifty million dollars uh, in sort of a one-time credit for for customers, and that got reduced to forty-two point five million. And it was, it was. I mean, the council was really split down the middle on this. And this was literally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is something that I know that you 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 opposed. Can you talk a little bit about your objections to using the money in that way?
1: Absolutely. I think there were just some fundamental um, disagreements on what equity looked like. So for me... I want to tackle the roots of any of our problems. Right. And so people having these outrageous bills in the summer months isn't going to be solved by a $30 rebate. But we could have we do have we had an opportunity, I think, to invest in sustainability. And particularly for me, my, my um, goal was to get as much for weatherization as possible. Because for for however many families, you can increase the chance that, you know, they get their homes insulated and they get appropriate windows. And I think we missed that opportunity.
0: It felt like the, the argument from, from city staff was, you know, they're, they're, we're doing all the weatherization we can do at this point that, that, you know, that there's, yeah, (laughs) it's not an argument that I know. I made a face. yeah
1: (laughs) I think, um. So the big problem there right is that we have so many contractors who don't get opportunities. We have capacity. Um Councilman Bravo at the at the meeting brought up ACOG who said, "Hey, we can take the money and we can we can invest in the weatherization and we have the capacity for it." And so I don't quite buy that argument. Um I think that there was a goal to make it look like council wasn't um, frivolous with money, that just because we had money, we weren't going to spend it. And so they wanted to say, oh, look, this is $50 million. We can do a rebate. We're going to return it back to the customers. And it's really like people are never going to see that money. It's going to be a discount off of their next, you know, whatever the increase of their next bill is, it's going to subtract a little bit of that.
0: One of the things that really struck me, too, about this is that at a time when I think we should be encouraging conservation. Um the way this was structured was um it was a percentage of of your uh, people's bills. So it really you know the 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 more you used the more you were going to get back and and obviously for for big businesses they were going to get the most back. And and that was one thing that I um that was where a huge uh
1: point of the debate was is that there are going to be so um I think it was there were 40 businesses that alone would get about $4 million. And when we think of the homes that, you know, are going to have the lower bills, even though they're using, because they have energy efficient windows, they have, um, you know, they weren't lowering their their um, their ACs because they have the spending money. To be honest, there's quite, probably a number of council members who, and I'll myself included who i'm going to take the l i'll spend a little bit more money on my on my bill so that i can stay comfortable and so i'll have my ac at whatever is comfortable to me and i think a number of people felt that way throughout the city and we don't deserve necessarily to have a higher rebate i intend to opt out and i hope that a whole bunch of other people do but there's going to be the people who have more modest homes who are going to have the higher bills but they don't they get so much less of it just because their homes are smaller
0: um, you did end up voting for, for the, the budget and it looked to me, which you didn't last year, you didn't. And, um, I think one of the things that, um, I know you were pleased about was that the city is, is funding, uh, as I understand it, a coordinator to deal with crime prevention and recidivism. Now you wanted a whole, did you want like a department? I, think. I still want to hold department. Still want a whole department <laughs> but you, you know, you, you take what you can get now. And, and, but this was an interesting idea to me because I think that, um, I think you can explain it a lot better and, and I I want to make sure I understand, but it, it felt to me like you were looking at like, what are, what's causing this? What's the more holistic, what, what's causing crime? What's happening? Let's study this as opposed to just responding to crimes and arresting people. Is Absolutely. And
1: and it's not necessarily studying um, in the traditional sense. Like we know often, you know, what the root causes of crime are. What we need to do a better job at is looking at, um, you know, certain areas and saying, Hey, this is an a- this is um, say, a problem in this neighborhood where there's um, non-service alleys where crime is happening, or here's an area that's really dark, and we notice that that's a trend. Um, and then we often, as a city, it's it's politically convenient to say, "Let's hire more officers." You're going to make a good portion of constituents happy if you say, "I want more police officers." But then, what happens when crime continues to go up? You're going to continue to invest in that. And when you have a police contract that makes it so that over five years, or t- five years, there's gonna be a $90 million increase at minimum. You have to be smarter with money. And so we haven't put it, we haven't made enough investments in crime prevention. And what that looks like is, you know, each, and this liaison would pretty much work with city departments like public works, like sustainability, like uh, economic development, ACS, um, and help that department look through, like we have an equity lens, a crime prevention lens what can i at the department level do to reduce crime
2: or to deter it mm-hmm. so how do how do you kind of gauge the success of this coordinator like a year from now you will say this person succeeded if what happened i would say
1: if each department is able to explain to me the connection uh and explain to the council and explain to the city you know what is their what is their role in crime prevention? I think that if you go to a number of departments right now, they would not be able to answer that. Mm-hmm. They have to get to that point first. And then from there, I hope to see programs implemented. I hope to see them playing a role at, you know, coordinating with SAPD and the coordinator. Um, it should be a change in how each department functions mm-hmm. and how they make their decisions.
2: Right. Good. Oh, yeah. So looking... Um, you know, you just got past this budget cycle. It was kind of brutal. It looked brutal. It,
1: Budget season is my favorite time of year. you, everyone is always so surprised. So I was a math teacher, right? right. But it's also, <laughs> I think if you're thinking politically, I think it's a missed opportunity if you don't view the budget as your largest opportunity to get policy wins and tangible wins for your community. And so we went about last year, we were very rushed. And I think I got people by surprise when I was able to get so many wins, like the street lighting index or the uh, rights coordinator this Mm -hmm. go around i don't think it was a surprise we started so much earlier Mm -hmm. and i had a lot of time to build relationships with my council colleagues and we talked about the things that mattered to us and we brainstormed and we figured out ways that we could help each other and so this go around it was very i loved it it was long i'll give you (laughs) that
2: it was a long one right so as far as as law enforcement what kind of common ground did you find with with council members and who were they like who did you who were you working most closely with you know i so, who I work most closely with? I think most
1: people would assume it's Councilwoman Castillo, and we do have it. We have a wonderful relationship. We um, we work together, and we talk about the issues that plague our districts the most. And there's a lot of common ground between District Two and District Five. Where people might be surprised is I have a really good relation, good working relationship, and personal relationship with Councilwoman uh, cabello Haverda, mm-hmm. and we've had a lot of conversations about you know how the city has perceived crime to be and how they and how we should how we should be, um, you know, viewing it in the future. And so I think we're going to see a lot of I think we're going to see some transformative things happen at uh, the Public Safety Committee, which she chairs. She was also one of the early supporters of uh, the Office of Crime and Recidivism Prevention. And so that's Mm. something I do still hope to see as it works through the the policy pipeline. But we got Mm. that early win that she was supportive of, which was the coordinator.
2: So what are the transformative things we're going to see at that committee?
1: Mm, I hope to see program. So, for example, I'll use arts as an example. I want them to start thinking of how can we tackle graffiti? Mm-hmm. And vandalism and how can we turn, uh, how can we create opportunities to, for arts to intervene and to engage people early on and to participate in more, um, one, trauma-informed, but then also not, uh, like, uh, to enforce, reinforce positive behaviors. I also want to see, let's say the research that... I'll say the research that's being done right now by UTSA and the research that's being done nationwide, I want to see some recommendations, you know, being followed through on. We have so many studies that we've done that we get a a book as big as the budget binder. And I think we, you know, we've invested a lot of money in it and then we don't see any results because we don't implement any of the recommendations. So transformative in the fact that you know, maybe we'll listen to the experts. Maybe we'll follow through and implement some of those and we'll make smarter investments and not politically convenient investments.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about the the city's Migrant res- Resource Center, which was opened on July 7th to deal with this influx of uh, asylum seekers who are coming through San Antonio on their way to their final destinations. And, uh, you know, it's been, there's been some controversy about it uh, with people in, in the neighborhoods in, in that, in that area of town on the north side. Uh, you've also had some uh, people in the firefighters union who have uh, objected to the fact that firefighters are, are being used. I think there's, I think that has calmed down somewhat by the, uh, f- the fact that Catholic charities is going to be sort of taking over uh, uh, operational control of, of the, the migrant resource center. But last week, Uh, We had a a situation where Florida Governor Ron DeSantis apparently sent someone in to San Antonio um, to trick people, uh, the uh, asylum seekers who were staying there, to trick them into thinking that if they got on this plane to, to what was supposed to be Boston. They were, this was going to work out really great for them. And, and uh, of course, they were sent to Martha's Vineyard with the idea that I think on DeSantis part that he wanted to own the libs and, and show, you know, That's and, so ugly, and dump, right? dump, mm, basically so ugly. dump a bunch of people uh, in this really rich, what's perceived as a rich liberal community. And what did they do? They, they, you know, they, they, handled, I mean, they, 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 they helped in. out. Yeah. Um, but, I just wanted to get as a, as, you know, as a council member when, and this is, this is a, a facility that the city has set up to try to, to try to help people to deal with what's a real humanitarian crisis, you know, in the, in the city. What was your response when you heard about that?
1: Hmm. I don't know that I have necessarily a very profound response, right? I don't think, um. I'm surprised by any of those actions. Mm -hmm. I'm also surprised. I'm not surprised really about how some people have chosen to frame the migrant resource center. I think it's, I think the vast majority of San Antonians agree that we need a set. We need a facility like that. We need to be providing support. We need to be doing what's right by um, all people, Mm -hmm. whether they're visiting, whether they're living here, sheltered, unsheltered, all of the above. And I don't think, um, you know, I don't think any bad faith efforts are going to prevail, Mm -hmm. right? I think that so long as you do what you can with the resources you can to do as much good as possible, in the end, I think you'll move in that direction. Mm -hmm. So that's my initial response or my initial thoughts.
2: Are you aware of anything the city is doing to make sure that doesn't happen again, where you have a person going and misrepresenting themselves and what the, you know, who they're representing to, to move migrants for, politically motivated purposes is the city
1: countering that at all i can't tell you necessarily what the strategy is and not because i can't tell you it's because i you know i don't know necessarily what the what the final strategy is going to be but i know conversations are happening every day and every hour about you know how can we better improve and how can we make sure things like that don't happen
0: last year uh, you uh filed a council consideration request on the issue of the non-discrimination ordinance. And people will remember that in 2013, the city passed a non-discrimination ordinance, which expanded sort of civil rights protections in the city to people in the LGBTQ community as well as veterans. And I think um, your uh, intent was to, I think one, to to set up a, a system where, you know, people were more aware and that there was, and, and the people, if, if there were violations, um, that we, we had, you know, people, uh, responding to that and, 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 uh, there, there was, they, they felt that they could, they could report this. Um, but also one of the things that you, that you, you wanted to do was to apply this to private businesses. And I wondered if, um, that you, looking back on it now, you feel like maybe that is, was, uh, a, a roadblock or something that that were that that's where you ran into opposition uh, on the council, that issue of of, of, of uh, applying this, the the NDO to to private businesses.
1: You know, I I think any time and this is something that now has been said explicitly. Anytime you try to regulate mm-hmm. um, or tell private institute, private businesses what to do, they're going to they're going to oppose it no matter what, even if it brings more dollars and if it brings more uh, conferences and whatnot to San Antonio. Um, there's going to be folk who are opposed. I think, you know, it's a timely discussion. I actually have a meeting today with the city attorney's office. We've been going back and forth with oh, this revisions. Issue? And okay. um, I look forward to it coming sometime this upcoming year. Um, I know it won't be this in December. I won't. Actually, no, I don't know when it'll be because it'll have to go to governance.
0: Did the mayor talk to you at the time? When it, did he had express any reservations about about that? Or?
1: We had conversations. <laughs> 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 and, and,
0: and what happened in these
1: conversations? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> like any conversation, there's going to be points where we um, we both agree and we disagree. And yeah. I hope that in the end, we'll all be um, we'll all be satisfied with that. But result.
2: did he disagree with the idea of applying NDO to private businesses?
0: I will let him answer that. <laughs> okay.
1: <good.
2: laughs> okay. What,
0: what's your relationship like with the mayor in general? I mean, how would you describe? We have a good relationship.
1: I think it's... Um, we challenge each other in a lot of ways. Um, we're not like best friends or anything like that, right? We have, we work together. We um, sp- we both spend a lot of time on the east side. Um, I think what's been interesting is, I think, and I, I look back at old articles and old things that were happening, mm-hmm. and I remember reading about you know conflicts with Councilman Warwick, Councilman uh, Taylor, uh, Trevino. That's true. You know. I don't see—I I think it's—we can look at who the mayor is now and who, you know, Councilman Jalen is now, and I don't think we're—I don't think we're too far apart. I think that we have—we both agree we have a lot of common ground, and there's a lot that we agree with, and we probably agree with more than we disagree. Mm-hmm. The problem—where I think the conflict is, is how do we get there? And we're both— we both are fast in our moles and in our beliefs and what we believe to be right and what we believe to be possible. And so I think uh I don't know, I think that I think that informs our relationship as well as the fact that I'm a new council member. I'm not necessarily um uh, I think sometimes constituents will feel like I'm my role is to defend the city and to defend the work of the city. I, I don't feel like it is my job. I mm. feel like it's my job to bring the complaints and the concerns of my constituents and that anger to the city, and so um, that's where I think I differ with some of my other council with some of my other council colleagues, and sometimes that, I think that sometimes can be seen on the dais.
2: Yeah. It was- going say it seems like Councilman Manny Polias would be one of those council members you frequently disagree with. Kind of characterize your relationship with him.
1: Characterize.
2: I mean, you're being really describe,
1: careful about des- this. Describe <laughs> it. Yeah, we don't. Really, I mean, I'll be honest. We don't have a relationship. Yeah, right? we yeah. don't have a relationship. I don't know what I. I don't know. Yeah, what I've done to make him mm-hmm. feel the need to antagonize me, but. It is what it is. The work continues, and I found I've been able to get what I need done.
0: Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, there was there was a plan to take an East Side motel and uh, use it to provide you know to provide a, a home for people escaping homelessness. Um, and um, I think at a certain point, this was maybe a couple of months ago, you. Suggested that the plan be dropped because there was there was opposition. Is that is that right?
1: In, in- I, I would say it goes a little bit deeper than okay. that. Is that you know? There's a, a a phrase that I I think I heard for the first time a little bit before I decided to run for office, and it was nothing for the community without the community, and so you have to engage folk and you have to create buy-in. I can have what I feel to be the solution Mm -hmm. to houselessness or the solution to any of our number one issues. Mm -hmm. But if I don't get a community behind me that's bought into that, it's not going to succeed and there's going to be way more. um, And in this case, I think there'd be way more, misplaced anger and frustration at the houses community than there needed to be. So any plan that comes forward, I think one, you need to get community buy-in, you need to learn from the community, what does it take to be successful in their community? How can you make a facility like this feel like it's, you know, not just some, you know, a a prison, a a gated Mm -hmm. prison um, in a neighborhood? How do you make it something that feels like, you know, "Those those are my neighbors? And I think we need more of that.
0: Could you foresee that something like that happening? Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think where people forget it's that that location wasn't too far away from Town Twin Village, which is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's being received very positively. And the neighbors who expressed frustration with the the what was the garden in a property, they're excited for Town Twin Village. And they wanted to see if maybe the resources that we were going to put here can instead be used to expand the expand the capacity of. Uh, Towns win.
0: I know one of the big issues that you've been concerned about on the east side has been stray animals, and I wondered if you were pleased with uh, animal care services funding in the new budget. Was there? Did they? Did the city do what you were hoping would happen, or is that still a work in progress? It's still a work in progress. I'm,
1: um, you know, something that makes me a little sad is that. Last year they weren't going to be funded in the bond. the The animal care hospital wasn't going to be funded in the bond. And I had a conversation with Shannon very early on. I said, "Hey, if you could have a bond project, what would it be?" And he said it would be this hospital. I know exactly how much it would cost. I know that this this. And you have a department that you go around the city. You especially districts one, two, three. You know, if you travel, you ask people what matters they're going to want to see acs receiving support but the fact that you have a department that will say exactly what it is they need to succeed and they were going to be left off the bond proposal list and they're not being they're not being funded adequately, adequately. over the past 10 years they've only seen an increase in their budget of 10 million dollars and I use this as an example: is that the increase to SAPD's budget was about thirty-one million dollars. You could double SA, uh, ACS's funding and still have ten million left over to increase the police budget with. And that's a problem to me that we're not looking at things like that.
0: Hmm. Well, I, I can't uh, resist asking you. I know it's a little bit early for this this type of thing because we're still dealing with midterm elections and city council elections. Won't be we won't be, be focusing on that as a community for a few months. But have you made any decisions about uh, whether you're going to seek a second term? Oh, I am. You are. Okay. I am. I think,
1: and I I owe it to, to my district, right? They When they elected me, they were looking for someone who had the energy, the passion, and the drive, and the knowledge to go eight years. Hmm. And so as long as I'm here, I intend to, as long as the community will have me, I will continue to run again. I'm not seeking any other office, just here to fulfill my duties as far as that goes, and I'm excited. You know, we've been, people have actually thought I'm in the November election because we've been, (laughs) because we we never really stopped block walking and we're giving out flyers and we give out information for our office. So we're increasing our workload and, but we're also increasing the amount of people who engage with our office. And so they think, oh, it's, y'all only come around during campaign season. I'm like, I'm not in campaign season. (laughs) By the way, would you think it
0: would be better or worse for the city if we did have city elections? I know people always talk about, you know, obviously we'd have a much bigger turnout, but if we, if we had them in November, if we have the kinds of campaigns
1: that have historically been done in city elections, it would be a disservice to have them in November. Mm -hmm. If candidates and incumbents will make the effort to engage their larger community and the voters who don't normally Mm -hmm. come out in municipal elections, and if, you know, folk like me, if we're putting in the effort to reach as many people as possible, there should be no problem with November elections.
0: Well, I wanted to we're going to take a, a question from a, from a listener. Um, and we've we've encouraged people to uh, to submit questions at expressnews.com uh, forward slash ask Puro. And uh, we're going to try to answer it. And I want to get your thoughts on it, Councilman. Um, this person is asking, uh, I hear Beth O'Rourke, Democratic candidate for governor, as part of his platform will be promising legalizing marijuana and the opening of casinos. Is that true? Uh, Beth O'Rourke has said um, on the issue of casinos that he's he's open or he's uh, he's inclined to support uh, ex, uh, casino uh, I love gambling that and sports I'm betting.
1: inclined to feel this yes. way. Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> I could be inclined a different way tomorrow, but um, I think basically his. He seems supportive of the idea, but uh, has has not has not fully committed and said, you know, if I'm elected, then we this is I'd like to have a conversation about this on the issue of marijuana. I think there's been no doubt that he is absolutely a supporter of legalization of marijuana. And this is something I think he wrote about many many years ago um, when he was a, a councilman in El Paso. He has uh, he was uh, ins- man. I forget he was a councilman. Right. That's right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. It went right from there to to Congress, but he. Uh, he has talked about. He was at in San Antonio on Sunday at La Vita, He talked about uh, medical marijuana in terms of uh, a humane thing to do for veterans because you know veterans who are suffering often get prescribed opioids, which are, are are dangerous, and this would be much better. But he's also in support of legalization of recreational marijuana. That actually, that the marijuana issue actually got the biggest applause at La Vita uh, uh, for, uh, during his speech. And uh, one of the things he mentioned too uh, was the idea that he wanted to eliminate people getting incarcerated for low-level drug offenses. Um, I know that's an issue that's important to you. Let I me mean, how do you respond to that?
1: Absolutely, and I think it's, um, we spend a lot of time at the, one of the strategies we have, right, for doing the things that we can't get done at the state or that we feel like we can't get done at the state is decriminalize. And it would just be, imagine, Legalizing, And imagine having, uh, I don't think people realize that. I mean, I I think people do realize this now, but marijuana could open the doors for more economic opportunity. And I don't think we've yet, I think there are some folk at at the state who are, I'm not going to finish that sentence.
2: (laughs) So so how would- They're hypocrites. That's what I'll say. (laughs) So how would legalization open up? More economic opportunity. Just, it's a whole other like, industry, right? So just retail.
0: I mean, wholesale and retail jobs and just tax more. revenue and right.
1: and then how many people travel and they say I'm going to go to Colorado.
0: I'm going to
2: take a Colorado <laughs> vacation. I'm going to yeah. <laughs> yeah. get a Colorado high. It's going to be know. amazing. Yeah. Do, do they? You said it not me. Okay. So as someone who was
1: recently in college, yes, people do people do feel that way. They will go travel to places where it's Mm. legal. So this could be
0: a tourism thing for Texas too. Imagine,
1: (laughs) imagine. I actually had a, when I was a high school math teacher, one of the things I assigned my students was to um, create a business, a a business plan of sorts. Mm -hmm. There was a way more math and numbers that I won't bore you with. But uh, one of my students, he was trying to be, uh, he was trying to be spicy and he was like, Oh, I'm gonna open up a dispense, uh, dispensary, mm-hmm. and he was his aim was for me to be like, "Oh no, you can't do
2: that." But I was like, "Okay, tell me more about that. What will that do?" <laughs> and so it's <laughs> well, how do you feel about? Because you know, should they be legal in in Texas? I mean, it would open up another industry.
1: You know, I don't think I'm. I'll say I personally would not be opposed. I did go to middle school in Las Vegas. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think I just view it a little bit differently than people who mm-hmm. grew up in San Antonio or grew up in Texas. Um, I I think it's going to be an important conversation about where because zoning is one of the biggest issues that I think we have. In a, I've said this before, and it sounds horrible. It sounds like it just sounds a little dumb, but zoning is one of the things that keeps me up at night. It's one of the biggest roles of, of the city because you're telling people what... Um, one, you're telling people what they can and cannot do with their property, but two, you're telling people what can what can exist next door to them. Yeah. And so if if it happens, we'll have to have a conversation about what does that zoning look like and what does that, um, you know, what kind of corridors do we have available that might make it more conducive or more so more acceptable. But
0: Councilman Jalen Niki Rodriguez, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. We thank you for having, you. having me. And uh, on that note, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We hope everyone out there is doing well, and we'll be back next week. Take care.